0: Please take the Word of God and turn with me to Genesis chapter number 12. We will look at the entire chapter today, but I'm going to begin with verses 1 through the middle of verse 4. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Let's ask God's blessing. Oh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your word tonight. For only your word is inspired and infallible. And it speaks to our hearts in ways that nobody can. So help us, Lord, to glean from this sacred text all that you would have for us. And show us Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I do bring you greetings from Kearney, New Jersey, just across the river. Well, it's just across the river, but it took an hour and 45 minutes to get here. But um, it is such an encouragement to be with you all. Uh, By the way, how's the audio? Is it fine? It's an encouragement because every time I come here, I'm encouraged. I come here uh, once every other month, roughly, for the pastor's uh, conference. I'm encouraged by the word. I'm encouraged by chicken lovers, of course. And... um, And today, uh, I'm encouraged by a midweek service this filled, and your hospitality in serving us. And I'm definitely going to try the, what you bring is what we will eat. That's going to be our new thing in our church, and uh, tonight is proof positive that it works. So thank you all for your hospitality. Thank you, Pastor Ed, for your invitation. This church means a lot to me. Um, Growing up in this New York City area, it's just so encouraging to know there are like-minded churches in the New York metro area. And uh, Pastor Ed has been a catalyst in bringing so many of us together. Uh, not only that, he planted a church probably 12 years ago or so in Yonkers, where I met my wife, who's here today. So there is a uh, more incentive to be encouraged by you and by your church. So thank you for that. When he asked me to come and preach, um, I had, I'm sure, heard many sermons on on Abraham, but never preached through one myself. Uh, Perhaps I've done a few lessons in the youth group or in my Christian school, but this was the first opportunity I had to go through an expository sermon in chapter 12 of Genesis myself. And at first, I was simply honored to have that task. But as I was studying, the Lord was ministering to me in a very relevant way because I identify a lot with what Abraham is going through here. There's a lot of uncertainty in this text. And as I was sharing just earlier, that's where we are right now in our church. For the past few years, we've been meeting in a building in the in the town that, that we believe the Lord opened the door for us to plant a church. And we were in that building and using that building, and then suddenly that building was no more. The, the town, the very town that we're ministering to, bought the building uh, from the denomination that we were renting from. And now, we find ourselves going to another building that the Lord has opened for us, only a mile away. And yet, there's a bit of a bittersweet taste to it. There are four other congregations that meet there. It doesn't feel like home. We feel like nomads. There are a lot of questions about the future. God, what are you doing? You've grown our church in this town. Now you're bringing us here. What, what What is happening? What we're asking the Lord for at this time in our church is the light of faith in the darkness of uncertainty. And I'm sure you can relate to that. Perhaps there's something in your life that is dark and uncertain that goes way beyond a church building. Maybe a diagnosis, the loss of a loved one or of a job. And you're wondering, God, I've followed you this far What are you doing now? Why this trial? Why these closed doors? And so, for our church, we are trying to trust in the Lord, not because of the circumstances around us, but because of who we know our God is. The God that we just sang to. I mean, I could stand here and sing with you guys all night. What an encouragement only a holy God. No other name remains undefeated. It's what we know to be true about God that brings us light in the midst of darkness. On our June calendar in our church, and I make a big deal about our calendar, I tell the members that when I go to your house for a visit, the first thing I want to see on the fridge is the calendar. We put a quote, we usually put a quote from the Bible or a quote from one of the Uh, men in church history, and Charles Spurgeon's quote is on this calendar for June as our church embarks on this next journey. And the quote is this, any simpleton can follow the narrow path in the light. Faith's rare wisdom enables us to march on in the dark with infallible accuracy. Why? Because she places her hand in that of her great guide. We can walk in the dark if we trust the one whose hand we are holding. The Bible tells us in Romans 15 that these things were written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. And I pray that you will walk away from here tonight with hope that no matter what you're going through now or what you might go through, that God will shine his light in the midst of any uncertainty you have so long as you hold on to his hand. My prayer is that you and I would be encouraged to follow the Lord's lead, even in the midst of darkness. And that is because God always finishes what he starts. And he starts something new here in Genesis 12. Genesis 12 is a hinge in the Bible. For the first 11 chapters, we learn about God's creative work. We learn that because God is personal, the universe is personal. But now we're going to begin to learn that the universe and world history itself has a purpose. And God is ordering all things to work out for that purpose, that grand purpose, which will culminate in the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ from members of every tribe and tongue and nation. And what you have with you this evening is just a foretaste of what God began in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, and I'm going to do it very simply. The faith of Abram, followed by the failure of Abram, and then wrap it up with the faithfulness of the Lord. The faith of Abram, the failure of Abram, and the faithfulness of the Lord. Let's begin with the faith of Abram in verses 1 through 9. I already read verses 1 through 4. I stopped in the beginning of verse 4, so for sake of time, I'll pick up in the beginning of verse 4. The Bible says, so Abram went... As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Abram, or as we know Abraham, is described in the New Testament as a man of faith. He was a man who saw the light in the midst of darkness. Someone who held on to God's hand even during uncertain times. He made it to what we call the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And I love how it says in verse 8, And he went out not knowing where he was going. You ever have that feeling? I have no idea where God's taken me, but he went out in obedience by faith. Abram's name means exalted father, and yet at this time in his life, he has no children. God is promising him so much here in verses 1 to 3. Abram was a man of faith. But what is this faith, right? We hear so much about this word, faith. And I think it's often misunderstood. We hear the Christian faith. We sing songs about faith. The New Testament emphasizes faith, tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. That we are saved by grace through faith. But what is faith? The world doesn't understand. Is, is faith merely confidence? Is it self-esteem? Or a warm, mushy feeling? Or maybe faith is just hopefulness. I hope that all things will work out in the end. Well, I think that the reformers were very helpful in this aspect because they gave to us a definition of faith that includes three aspects. And perhaps you have heard this before. And these aspects of true, saving faith, a faith that pleases God, involves three things knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, assent, and trust. And one must have all three of these things to have a faith that pleases God. My dad likes to um, tell a story of one of, in his own words, his finest accomplishments. When he was in his 20s, he went on a cruise. And he went to an all-you-can-eat buffet several times. And then when he came back to sit down after the last time eating, the chair broke from underneath him (laughs) under the weight of all of his... Indulgence. His report, now of course I wasn't there to see this, but his report is that the chef came out and grabbed one of the legs of the chair and held it up as though it were a trophy, and everybody applauded for my father. I have big shoes to fill. Now, I mentioned faith as knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge is simply Understanding the facts. If I were given a chair and someone told me all about the chair and said, this chair is made of metal and this chair can hold up to 300, 400 pounds. And I believed you were telling me the truth. And I said, okay, now I know the facts about this chair, but knowledge is not enough. Ascent. One level higher would be that I, I agree, I agree with you that this chair is strong enough to hold my weight, and I understand that if I sit, it will hold me. But that's not enough. Trust would be when I finally take the step of faith and sit in the chair, and hopefully it would hold me up. My sitting on the chair is not what supports me. It's the chair that supports me. But my sitting on the chair is what proves to the world that I trust this chair. True faith has knowledge, assent, and trust. And in this section, verses 1 through 9 of Genesis 12, we see all three aspects of Abram's faith on display. We see Abram's knowledge. Where is knowledge found in verse 1? The Lord says to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram has knowledge. The Lord spoke to him. It's hard to deny a voice like the Lord's. So he knows that something's happening. Abram, we, we understand, may have come from a tribe that, that worshiped other gods, perhaps the moon god, but he, he knows that he heard something. He has knowledge. But Abram doesn't simply look at this spectacle or listen to this spectacle and say, well, that was pretty cool, and move on with his life. It's not just knowledge, but Abraham has assent. Abraham assents to what God tells him. Verses uh, 2 through uh, uh, 3 tell us about what God specifically tells Abram he's going to do with him. So Abraham agrees with God. In verses 2 and 3, Abraham is receiving a covenant of God's grace. God is making a covenant with Abram. God is, God is promising Abram many things, and he's commanding Abram to do things. A covenant has, has uh, two parts to it, things you must do and then the promises that follow. Now, we can probably dissect it differently, but I agree with one commentator who finds in here two commands and six promises. Two commands and six promises. And the two commands could be kind of coupled together in one sentence. Abram, go and be a blessing to the world. Go and be a blessing to the world. But it's two commands because one is he has to go. And in order for him to go, he has to leave. He has to leave behind. The Bible says in verse one, from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. God is calling Abram to radical unfamiliarity. To leave everything he knew behind. To follow God for Abram would be a sacrifice. This is not to say that Abram doesn't know about uh, transportation. Likely he was a nomad most of his life. But he knew what it was like to live in his father's house. He knew what it was like to be part of this clan. And God is saying, I'm going to take you out of that familial relationship. Bring you to another land. And he doesn't even identify the land. He says, the land that I will show you. I haven't even shown it to you yet, but I want you to go. And many of us who have ever had to move to a different country or halfway across country or across state lines or even here in New York City where you go from one borough to another borough and things are completely different, you know what it's like to leave the familiar for the unfamiliar. And Abram was called by God to go and do just that but he was told to, to do that. And in verse number two, at the very end, it says, so that you will be a blessing. Commentators much smarter than I have said that this is written in an imperative form. That is, he's not just saying you will be a blessing, but he's commanding him to go to be a blessing. Abram is to be a blessing to the people to whom he goes. People he's never met. In lands he's never been to. He now has this job given to him by the voice of God. Go and be a blessing. But in God's covenant with Abram, we also find six promises. God always couples his commands with his precious promises. First, he says, I will make of you a great nation. A great nation. There will be a people that will be upheld in honor blessed by the Lord for all the world to see, and they will come from Abram, a man who at this moment has no kids. Secondly, he says, I will bless you. That's favor from the Lord. He will be walking in God's favor. Thirdly, I will make your name great. You'll have a great name. People will look back on you and honor you and your name. Fourthly, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Wherever you go, you will bear the name of God in such a way that to bless you brings blessings to the people and to curse you brings cursings upon them. Number five, all families of the earth will be blessed in you. Isn't that amazing? All families, not just your tribe. Yeah, I'll make you a great nation, but because of Your obedience and your faith, what I'm going to do through you, all the families of the earth, all the tribes will be blessed through you and what I'm doing here. And sixthly, I will give you a land that I will show you. Those are some awesome promises for a man of that generation. For us, we may not relate to that. Many of us might not be looking to make a great nation for ourselves or or get land. Some Some of us might, perhaps, but... In our day and age, it might be a raise, it might be a prominent position at work, but for someone living in that era to be told, you're gonna have a great nation named after you, you're gonna have a great name, you're gonna have a land, this was amazing. But in the midst of all these great promises, there still remains that darkness, the darkness of uncertainty. Because in order to obtain those promises, he has to leave what's familiar to him. He has to go to a land that he's never seen before. He doesn't know what he will encounter. He is simply called by God to follow God's voice. And this would be assent, agreeing with what is said. But whereas knowledge is not enough, and assent is not enough, Abraham must also display his trust if he were to have faith that pleases God. And how does Abraham sit on the proverbial chair? Well, verse four begins with, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. That is the manifestation of Abram's trust. He went, he obeyed. Sometimes the Bible just mentions things so matter of fact. There's no bells and whistles here. But in order for Abram to do what he did here, it would have to take a divine enabling of God. The call of God on Abraham's life is an effectual call. It empowers him to do something that you and I would not want to do if God did not make the first move. Because God is the great initiator and God is the great empowerer. God empowers and initiates so that Abram can obey him even though there's much uncertainty in the future. Abraham shows that his faith is genuine because he trusts the Lord enough to obey the faith that serves as a light in the darkness of uncertainty. And we, we see this trust even further illustrated at this incident as Moses zooms in for us to Shechem. Would you go with me to verse 6? It says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah at the time The Canaanites were in the land. So when Abram arrives in this promised land, there are already people living in it. It Kind of feels like what my church is going through. There's four other congregations. It's like their speakers are here. Their pulpit's here. Their pulpit says Seventh-day Adventist church right on. I don't want to preach from that. But, but this is this is more than just a building to meet in once a week, right? This is the land he's going to establish himself, his family, and the nation that God promised him. And there's people already there. And not only are they already there, verse 6 tells us that there was this tree, this oak of Morah, which which I think I would be prone to just sort of skip on as an incidental detail, but nothing is incidental in the Bible. The oak of Morah is known to be a Canaanite shrine to a false god. And Shechem, in biblical times, has always been a place of turning point in the Bible. It's where Joshua gave his last speech. It's where Solomon's kingdom was divided. So Abram is facing a turning point now. He obeyed God's voice. He followed God's lead. He went to Canaan. He came to this pagan shrine in the midst of a pagan land that God said would be his one day. And he has a choice to make. He can go back and say, oh, sorry, I have the wrong house. He could compromise, worship their gods. But what does he do? Verse number seven, it was right there at Shechem, at this oak tree, this shrine, that the Lord appears to Abram. We don't know exactly what that looks like here. But the Lord appears to Abram there You can almost see it. Abraham has some sort of vision of God, even though in the background there is a pagan statue, perhaps. And he says to your offspring, again, he's saying this to a fatherless man, to your offspring, I will give this land. So what does Abram do? He builds an altar to the Lord. He decides. He makes his decision. If this is the place of decision, he makes his decision. I see the people. I see where you're bringing me. I've heard what you promised me. I worship you, oh God. I trust you. This kind of faith is the faith that can worship God in the midst of adversity. In the midst of hurt. Maybe even tonight, you've had something going on in your life where you're experiencing hurt, loss, grief, uncertainty, darkness, or pain, and yet you can stand with brothers and sisters and you could sing only a holy God. You can sing come praise and glorify. You can sing, what was the song we sang, the hymnal? Um, <laughs> yes, all hail the power. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Maybe you are at a place of decision and you need the faith to simply stop and worship. Because the only thing that really will get us through these times is what we believe about God. And Abram didn't have half the knowledge that you and I have about God. But he knew he could be trusted. The best thing we can say about Abram is not any ability he had or how many family members he had, or how big his tribe was, but it's his faith. That's what the Bible highlights about Abram, his faith. And it's through him that the nations would be blessed, because wherever Abram would go, he would be the one that spreads the knowledge of that true God over against all the false gods. The fact that Hugh and I are here, think about this, in Queens, New York, 2,000 years removed from what happened in Jerusalem, 2,000 years removed, across an ocean, and we're still singing about a crucified and risen carpenter is because Abraham went out by faith. This is the hinge upon which world history turns. Uh, Mark Dever calls this the most important part of the Bible between the fall of man and the birth of Christ. Wherever Abram went, wherever his seed went, the knowledge of God spread throughout the world so that you and I, from every tribe and tongue and nation, could be worshiping the true and holy God together tonight. Abram had faith that pleases God, but Abram is also human, just like you and me. And we will briefly look at his failure that happens immediately after his faith is on display. The failure of Abraham, lest you think his faith is perfect, The Bible shows us it's not. It says in verse 10, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. There are, in a sense, in Abram's life now, two gods. There is the true God who called him. Jehovah, the true and living God, the only holy God, the one who could be trusted, the one who's leading Abraham, but there's also Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is a mere mortal, but he was lauded as a God. Pharaoh is insatiable, self-serving, even with all the spoils of Egypt, still would have lusted after Abram's wife. And Abram knows this because he fears that the Egyptians might lust after his wife and kill him in the process. So whereas Abram had a choice at Shechem to worship false gods or worship the true God or go home, here, instead of choosing the Lord, unfortunately, he chooses Egypt. And why? What did Egypt have? Egypt had water. That's why. Egypt had water. Verse 10 tells us there's a famine in the land. This is the very land that God told Abram to, to travel on his journey. And it was a severe famine. So it's understandable that he might want to go find a supply of water. Where else to look but Egypt, where they have the Nile River. But there's nothing here said that was a call from God. Rather, what we find is that Abraham is following his own leading, what makes the most sense to him at the time. You might be thinking, or he might be thinking, did God call me here just to starve me? Very reminiscent of the children of Israel later on. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps Abram is doubting. Maybe God is not going to finish what he started. How can I, I leave everything behind and follow God only to find a famine? Famine. And so Abram displays his lack of trust in God in this episode. Proverbs tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But the fear of man brings a snare. And when Abram lands in Egypt, he is fearful. So he devises a plan. And then he justifies his deception. Notice how he first compliments his wife. Well, you're really beautiful. Can you do me a favor? Lie to them. Tell them you're my sister. Now we know later on, and, and you know, there, there are many other uh, sermons you'll hear in, in, in the life of Abraham, that she is indeed his half sister. But this was deception. He was keeping from them the truth that this was his wife. So not only did Abram fail to trust in God and wait for God's orders, he's now resorted to deception and lies. And he says in verse 13, Why? That my life may be spared for your sake. Uh, Before that, he says, that it may go well with me because of you. Abram's thinking about his own personal safety, his own personal appetite. He is thinking more about himself as an individual than the big picture for which God called him. You will be a blessing to the nations. But in this, Abram wants to bless himself. So at this point, he has taken his eyes off of the Lord. And we don't see the Lord again in this chapter until verse 17. So Abraham's in Egypt for a while. Abraham gets what he wants. He gets material blessings in return. And while he gets all these blessings, look, again, in in verse 16, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, where is Sarai? She's in Pharaoh's house. So he was willing to give up his wife. He was willing to lie and get all these material blessings. But God is not on his mind. He might be thinking in this moment, I made it. I've got everything I need. I'm not hungry. I'm not thirsty. But Abram, at this point in his life, is outside of God's will. He's outside of God's call on his life. And no matter how physically comfortable you might get, Being disobedient to God is never a safe place. Verse 17 shows us that even in Abraham's failure, God Almighty is still faithful. God's faithfulness. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Verse 17 is a great testimony of God's undying faithfulness. But you need to see that within the scheme of God's plans. Because if you're, if you're Pharaoh, you don't like verse 17. Verse 17 is about how God cursed you with great plagues. Nobody likes that. If you're Abram, you probably don't like verse 17 either because now you're kicked out of Egypt. And in the very next verse, a man of the world points his finger at you and rebukes you for your unfaithfulness and deception. But for us, verse 17 is a reminder that God finishes what he starts that he who began a good work in you will complete it. That even when you and I as wandering sheep walk off the beaten path, God Almighty, your heavenly father, will do what it takes to bring you back. And sometimes that involves discipline. Sometimes that involves what Abram went through, being rebuked by the world, being kicked out of Egypt, going back to uncertainty, But see past that, brothers and sisters. See God's faithfulness. Some of us make choices that we know are outside of God's inspired word. And then we suffer the consequences of it. But as the Bible tells us, while discipline seems pretty painful at the moment, it is for our good. God is bringing us back to the path on which he called us originally. And if you are called, he will keep you. And nothing, not even your own selfish will can take you out of the palm of his hands. He will not forget the covenant he made with Abram. He will not forget the covenant he made with you. That's why Genesis 12, one to three is a turning point in history because it shows us that God is the covenant keeping God of the universe. And this whole world and everything in it has a purpose. We may not always be able to explain the purpose, especially behind suffering. But if we take heart that our God is in control, then our hearts can be at peace. The covenant that God makes with Abram tells us that he will be a blessing to the nations. And it was so vital that Abram remain on that path so that those nations could be blessed. Now, how is it? that we are blessed. With just a few moments left, let's turn to Galatians chapter 3 because the Bible explains it in great detail. Galatians chapter 3 verses 7 to 14 bring to bear why it is that God was so invested in this man Abram Why he would not let Abram out of his sight. Why he preserved Abram even in his disobedience. Because through him would come a savior. Verse 7 of Galatians 3 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That means you don't have to be Jewish. You could be from any tribe, any tongue, any nation. If you have faith in Christ, you and I are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, verse 8, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So God's call to Abram was a prototype of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed. Be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's us, right? All of us are sinners. We've all disobeyed God's law in some way. And we deserve the curse. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law, before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So how if we are under a curse because of our disobedience to the law, and we can't redeem ourselves by obedience to the law, how can we be saved? Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your story begins in Genesis 12. As God called Abraham and promised that through you, all the nations will be blessed. And the way that will happen is that through his seed would come one that would bear the penalty of our sins on our behalf. One who would become a curse for us, who would absorb God's wrath that we deserved, and who will rise again on the third day. And if we repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible promises we will be saved. You know, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Those blessings are yours in Christ. Heaven is yours in Christ. Adoption by God is yours in Christ. And that is all possible, not by works, but by faith in the son of God given to us by his grace. That is the message that God wants the world to know. And if you have faith that not only knows those facts and a sense to them being true, but trusts in Christ by turning from your sin and casting yourself upon him as the only way of salvation, then you are blessed in the exact way that God had ordained thousands of years ago through his servant Abraham. Brothers and sisters. I hope that you're encouraged by the faith of Abraham. But please understand that just like Abraham was human, so are we. And our faith is sometimes weak. We sin. We get off the beaten path. But God will not forget his promises to us. And if he's promised that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, then whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved you put your hope in God, you will not be ashamed. May the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified as he gives us this earth-shattering, nation-telling, God-glorifying faith in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Abram. We thank you for the gift of faith. And I pray that if there be any here today who don't know Christ, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit to convict such a one of his or her sin and draw them to the only Savior of our souls, the Lord Jesus. And for any of us who are experiencing those dark times of doubt and uncertainty, would you please, O Lord, walk by us, walk with us in the midst of the darkness that we may rest in you, be glorified in how we receive the word and obey the word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Praise Amen.
1: God. That was great.
0: Okay. Right. Stay close by. Right. Uh,
1: first and foremost, uh, what a masterful job of taking it to the gospel and making the gospel the point of it. Uh, that was really clear, and that was really that was really beautiful. Um, so, I have a couple of questions. And a couple of observations, and then I'll allow you to make some uh, observations or to ask some questions. Um, When it says in verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram, and then at the end of the verse, it speaks about the Lord Yahweh who appeared to him. Uh, It's a twofold question. One, what form of communication did God have? with Abraham, did he, was it a Christophany where a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ came and talked as you and I are talking now? Or was it a voice or was it an impression? Well, what does that word mean that the, that the Lord appeared to, to him?
0: I don't know. Um, my best guess is Christophany only because it's appeared as opposed to spoke. So I think there is a distinction between verse 1 and 7. Um, And we also know that whenever the Lord appears to someone in the Old Testament, the Gospels tell us that was Jesus that they saw. So that's my best guess, but quite frankly, I I don't know. Yes, uh, and I
1: I don't know either, and I don't think it matters, but here's here's why I'm asking the question. What about the person, and you hear this all the time, what about the person who says, I'm going to trust God, I'm Mm going to go, I'm going to do because the Lord told me, or because the Lord said to me, or the Lord, I'm just going out on faith, Mm -hmm. or I'm doing this in faith, or doing that in faith, and like, well, okay, how do you know that's the right thing to do? Well, because I have faith. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Lord appeared to me, or the Lord -hmm. Lord spoke to me. What's the difference between the faith of Abraham and the person just doing something based upon a, a strong impression?
0: Yeah. Um... Abraham received a call from God. When Abraham was told by God to go, he was given inspired words. The inspired words we have today are encapsulated in these 66 books. The Lord speaks through his word, and oftentimes we sort of look at our circumstances as though this is what we want, and we say, God told me. God speaks through this book. If there are things that are not clearly spelled out in the book, sort of like, where we're going to live, what job to have. We also see counsel, because the book tells us that in the counsel of many, there is wisdom. Um, I think, as pastors, we experience this a lot. Actually, it's in my notes, but um, I stopped at 39.29. So it's, I wanted to, so this you, is... <laughs> you had 31 seconds to I play did. with, and you, I did. all right. But I had so much more, and so this is perfect. Um, I, I would assume we would agree that, as pastors, we have, we have dealt... Um, We've probably done this ourselves. We meet with people who say they have an impression or they want advice about, like I said, a job, um, a relocation that isn't black and white in this book, but they're going against counsel. And we would advise them to really think, why did God put these people in your life to give you counsel if you're going to do your own thing anyway? Um, where you have sought counsel and you have read the book and you're still not sure, do I take this job or that job, go to this school or that school, I believe there's freedom. And that, that really takes a lot of chains off of me. Mm-hmm. So you have freedom to do things that are not in violation of this book. But right. this is the book that's inspired. Those so-called visions and dreams are not trustworthy.
1: Yeah. St. Augustine said, love God and do what you want. Yeah,
0: uh, And I believe that, yes. Yeah. Amen. Uh, and let me open it up,
1: please, to uh, questions. Cade is on that nice. It's good to have a tall youth director. <laughs> Is it off? I have a question right here. Okay, great. All right, questions or comments? Yeah, I have one right here. Look at that. I'm sorry? He has his hand up. Yes, Uh, Sherwin.
0: Questions
1: to Wow, how did Pharaoh know that?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I think Moses leaves out the fact that whatever conversations have happened um, in Egypt, um, the fact that Abram has all these servants and, and so on, tells us that he was there for a little while. So it's possible that Abram was in compromise at this point. He was worshiping Jehovah God. So people knew that was a, a Yahweh worshiper, Jehovah worshiper. But at the same time, he was living amongst these Egyptians. So when the cursings came, it was pretty natural, I think, for pagan people to think, it's your fault. Just like what happened with Jonah on the boat.
1: Yeah, good answer. Yes. Other questions or comments?
0: Jehovah is, is an English transliteration of a Hebrew word that's four consonants, and we don't actually know how it was pronounced. So Yahweh or Jehovah are acceptable ways of saying God's name, but I don't think there's an emphasis on which one God prefers, which is why most Bibles say the Lord with capital letters. Um, But that is not meant to be disrespect to his name. It's meant to show you that when you read Lord in capital letters, that is the Hebrew name for God. But we don't have audio, so we don't know exactly how it sounded.
1: But... That makes him the smartest, one in the smartest guy in the room. That's right. Yeah. Other questions or comments? And it's so beautiful that Abraham made this mistake that he left and he went to Egypt, lied about. Well, just first of all, is anybody here actually married to a sibling? Okay, we're safe. But uh, but 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 he uses the deception. He's he's, he's, he's left. He's you know but. But the, but the promise of God doesn't die with that. Right. If, if the promise of God died with every time we made a mistake. Oh, yeah. There would, we'd be done. We'd be done. We'd be done. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Uh, Elisa? So I also thought...
0: Thank you. And that was actually my final, final application. So wherever you go, it was. It was, it was in here. So <laughs> wherever you go, spread the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Thank you.
1: And I don't think either one of us could have said it as well as she No, did. that was yeah. perfect. <laughs> perfect. Anyone else? Yes, uh, Jacob. Yeah, I'm just saying, thank you. Final question here. One of my interns asked me this question today, and it, it is in verse 16, and it said, and for her sake, that's for Sarai's sake, uh, he, speaking of Pharaoh." dwelt well with Abram. And then it says, and he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. Did these come as a gift from Pharaoh to Abraham or did Abraham have those before he got there?
0: Um, My impression is that this was a result of Pharaoh's kindness to him for taking in his wife. Um, Of course, things like that, I'm only relying upon what I'm reading, but it makes the most sense to me. Um, but I do notice there's a semicolon and an end, so I it, it guess it could be taken the other way. But I assume that it was because Abram made this deceptive choice, he got more stuff out of it for himself.
1: So let me see if I get this right. He's coming into Egypt. He says to his wife, say that you're my sister. And they get to Egypt Now this woman is no; she's no kid at this point. She's like
0: like sixty years
1: old. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Which is so she's basically like an Anna Moore type, like just (laughs) like she doesn't, she doesn't, she. Everywhere I go, it's like, yeah, I I don't claim her as my sister, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, gets there and says, okay, now you, you, you need to lie about this. Then she goes into Pharaoh's house, and Pharaoh gives Abraham a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And then Pharaoh ends up being cursed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That... And I think it's amazing Pharaoh didn't kill him. <laughs> sure. Just kicks him out. I guess cause to get the curse away, I guess that was...
1: Yeah, or for a number you know. of reasons. Yeah. 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 Very good. Uh, uh, okay, so before Damien sits down, before he sits down, uh, Keith Allen, would you very quickly pre- please pray for the Bread of Life Fellowship in Kearney, New Jersey, that, that uh, God would give them a home and God would give them a place to meet.